0: All right, so our passage today is Romans eleven sixteen through 24. If you're using one of the blue Bibles in the center of the table, it's page 1048. If you need more blue Bibles, raise your hand. Anybody need more blue Bibles? Here we go, Carol. All right. So our passage today is Romans 11:16 through 24. Uh, next week's passage is going to be verses 25 through 32, verses 25 through 32. So please take some time in the week ahead and dive into those verses ahead of time. So Romans 11:16 through 24. A few things to keep in mind. As you read this passage, as you discuss it, Paul is talking to the Gentiles. What is a Gentile? A Gentile is someone who is not Jewish. In the Old Testament, the first 70% of our Bible, God is mostly dealing with the Jewish people to bring Jesus into the world through their nation. So then, a lot of Jews believe in Christ as the Messiah, as the one they've been waiting for, but even more reject him. And they say, No, Jesus, we don't want you, we don't want what you have to offer. So then, God welcomes all the other nations. All the other nations of the world are now welcome in to believe the gospel and to walk with God and to be the people of God. So there's some confusion at the church in Rome. There's some things that the people there are trying to figure out. And if you've been in church long, if you've read your Bible much, you see and you know and you understand how some of these issues are very, very relevant. I find that what we're going to read today is very helpful in understanding what God does in the different periods of history. So if you think thousands of years ago, if you think today, if you think possibly thousands of years from now, why is God doing things the way that he is doing things? Also, this passage will help us understand what does it mean to belong to God? In addition to that, There are loads of personal application. Paul is telling his readers he's warning them against some bad attitudes and about some very faulty, sinful, awful ways of thinking that, honestly, I struggle with on a regular basis. And I would be pretty sure that most of us struggle with something in this passage that Paul Uh, brings up so I want to read the passage and uh, after I read it uh, I'll give a little bit further instruction so Romans 11 verse 16 follow along with me please if the dough offered as first fruits is holy so is the whole lump and if the root is holy so are the branches but if some of the branches were broken off But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen. But God's kindness toward to you. Provided. You continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree... How much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? So take four or five minutes. Read this passage to yourself as much as you can. Dig into it. And uh, then we'll have a discussion. Each table has a discussion leader. And we have a list of questions that will direct the discussion. They should be on the center of the table. You can grab a copy if you don't have one already. May the Lord bless the reading of his word today i'm not one that's big on sermon titles um, but every once in a while i get an idea for a title y'all ever heard of that book called a tale of two cities charles dickens was 1850 1860 something i actually read it a few years ago long story why i did i almost didn't make it through It it was not my type of read. Um, But it was amazing. An amazing work. But a tale of two cities. I, I look at this passage and I see a tale of two trees. I see two very different trees. And I see God dealing with each tree a little differently than he dealt with the other tree. He may deal with one tree one way at one time and deal with the other tree, you know, a different way at the same time. But then later on, he may flip those plans and purposes. So we have two trees here. One of the trees is holy and one's not. One of the trees is holy and one's not. We have a world with people like that, don't we? Amen. And even when I look at my own life, I have seasons where I was one way, then other seasons where I was the opposite way. And the honest reader, the honest person, has to look at this and see, you know, how they fit and connect with both, with the story of both trees. So. As I shared earlier when I introduced the passage, Paul here is talking to Gentiles. They were the non-Jewish people. For the Old Testament, God mostly only dealt with the Jews. But then Jesus came, and after Jesus died on the cross, rose again, and went back to heaven, many of the Gentiles, many of the other nations, many of the other non-Jewish people, they were being welcomed into the kingdom of God. They were able to know God in a way that they didn't think was available to them before. And so, in Rome, giant city of the Roman Empire, there's already a church there. And it's a very diverse church. There's a lot of Jewish people who are now Christians, and there's a lot of Gentiles who are now Christians. And this part of Romans 11... Paul is specifically talking to the Gentiles. In verse 11, we covered it last week, he asked this big question. And he's not asking this about the Gentiles, but he's asking this about the Jews. He says, did the Jews, who God was dealing with in the Old Testament, did they stumble that they may?" No, God is not finished with them yet. Paul had just spent a ton of time talking about how the Jews totally missed everything that they were supposed to get. So in verse 11, he says, Yeah, they stumbled, but did they fall? Is God completely through with them? Is He done with them? Is He given up on them? And the answer that is given is, No, God is not finished. With them yet. And what we saw last week is that there is coming a point in time, I believe it is ahead of us. It's not just ahead of Paul, but it's ahead of us. It's post-2023. There will be a period of time where a massive number of Jews, perhaps all the Jews, see, oh my goodness, we missed it. Oh my goodness, we missed him. We missed Jesus Christ. We missed the Messiah. And so, we have the Jewish people in the first century who had been the people of God, and they are one tree. And then we have the Gentiles, and they are the other tree. We have... Trees that have roots and branches. There's specific reference made to the roots and to the branches of these trees. And what we're going to see is that God is in charge of both of these trees. Amen. Amen. Just as when I look at my property, I, I, I can go and do whatever I want to with my trees, right? I can prune them, I can propagate them, I can borrow a chainsaw and take them down. Every once in a while, I swing an ax so I don't have to borrow a chainsaw. The other day, my oldest son and I, we grabbed our loppers and we made some rabbit food out of some of the softer, more tender branches that had green leaves. I am Lord over the trees in my yard, and our God is Lord over the holy tree and over the wild tree in this passage. So, I told you earlier that in this passage, God is explaining like world history. Why things are the way they are, like why they were the way they were thousands of years ago, and why they will be the way they are possibly thousands of years from now, if Jesus does not return and why they are the way they are today. So to understand what God is doing in history, to understand the big picture of what's going on today, we need to look at how things begin. So look at verse 16. Let's look at how things begin. In this in verse 16, Paul talks about bread and he talks about the tree. and And... You know, he introduces the two images here, but he draw after verse sixteen, he drops the image of the bread of the dough, and he focuses on the image of the tree. So we have these two images. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. So we know when you put yeast in a dough, it spreads everywhere. And we know that a tree, if it has a particular type of root, then that determines what type of tree that tree will be. And the goal of God's goal, his purpose in history is holiness. Numerous places in the Bible, it says without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And what we're going to see in our passage today is God is making a people for himself who are holy. He is restoring us to what he originally intended us to be. He made us for a purpose. He made us for his glory. He made us for holiness. We rejected all that. But God... Is making a people, not peoples, but a people who are holy. Look at verse 17. If some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, that's where we how we know we're talking about olive trees, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. So just to make sure, and I, and I think most of us are on the same page, but I know there was a time in my life where I didn't know what it meant to graft something. I've seen grafting done. We have a pear tree in our yard that my grandfather uh, grafted when I was a child, I would guess about 30 years ago. It was really neat. He brought this branch over, and he cut off part of a, There was a tree that had fallen down or something. Anyway, he took a chainsaw and he cut a lot of it off so that it would make like it would be a clean cut. But there was this one branch and he cut this branch that was connected to the tree. He cut it a really particular certain way. And then the branch that he brought over that was from a pear tree, he cut a real particular way. He fit them together like they were a puzzle. And then he taped them up with duct tape. Then many... Many months later, um, he took the tape off. And my kids have eaten pears from that tree before. So when you're grafting, you take part of one plant and you join it and combine it with part of another plant. I heard one of my kids mention this um, at a different table, but we got a seed catalog a couple years ago and they tried to sell us a ketchup and a fries plant. It, it was a uh, potato plant. You know, potatoes grow under the ground. But there were some grafts made to it. And it had a tomato plant on top. It's incredible what can be done these days, right? And so anyway, it was a, really thing, it was a real thing. And they, were, um, they had started some. And they, were, they would sell you the plant start. So you could put it in your garden. And you could have the tomatoes and potatoes from the same tree. But when you graph something, things that aren't similar can come together and become one. And don't you know that a wild olive tree and a cultivated olive tree are two different things. But our God puts them together, you all. He's taking wild people and he's making them holy. That's how people change, y'all. It is the work of God. It is the work of God. Amen. So verse 17, if some of the branches were broken off, who is he talking about there? He's talking about the unbelieving Jewish people. He's talking about when you look at the context, when you look at chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11 together, God is saying, I've got a tree. This tree is my holy people. And, and some of the Jews that were a part of that, at least externally, they didn't believe. They didn't really have, their relationship with God was superficial. It wasn't internal. It was focused on externals. Who here gets sick of people who put on an external show and there's no internal substance to it? Nobody likes that. I don't care if you're close to God. I don't care if you're far from God. Nobody likes that. But that's what was going on in this day. And Paul explains it. He says, God broke off some of those branches. They were phony balonies. They were not the real thing. They didn't truly believe in God. And God broke them off. And and then he goes on in verse 17 to say, you, you Gentiles, you people that weren't Jewish, you were a wild olive shoot. You didn't, God is saying, you didn't have my care through the ages. I wasn't teaching you and showing you about myself. You were largely left on your own to do whatever you want. He's talking to the Gentile people. And the Jews weren't that way. So you, although a wild olive shoot, you were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. See, the non-Jewish people, they were becoming Christians. And once they became a Christian, all of a sudden, the work of God in the Jewish people just gave them meaning, gave them purpose, gave them... Uh, an understanding of what it was that God requires, all of a sudden they had this heritage that they had never had before. It doesn't mean that Gentiles become Jewish, but it does mean the Gentiles become the people of God. And all of those incredible things that God did for the Jews, the Gentiles could look at that and get to know their God through the dealings and the working that he did in the Jews through the ages. So there at the end of verse 17, we see that the Gentiles are sharing in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Don't you know you gotta have healthy roots if you're gonna have a healthy tree, right? Amen. And, and this, this, this healthy tree in verse 17 is the people of God. It is the believing Jews and the believing Gentiles. So when we look at verse 16 and 17 together, We see that God is creating one holy people. And I want to bring this up because there is a brand of teaching today within the church, within brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe some of you here today, and certainly there are people in our lives that love Jesus that would really disagree with what I'm about to say. There are some who teach that God has Two groups of people that he is working in. They say he has one plan for Israel and he has one plan for the church. I don't see that in the scripture. I see God, and, and, and these verses confirm this, God is creating one holy people. We see that in verse 17. He took unbelieving Gentiles. And he put them with believing Jews, and they're part of the same tree. He doesn't have two trees, but he has one tree. He has one people he's working in. Paul even mentioned this back in chapter 9, verse 6. If you want to flip back just a couple pages, chapter 9, verse 6, Paul talks about the distinction between or within Israel chapter 9, verse 6, he says, It is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Do you see that in verse 6? He says, Not everyone who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. He's talking about like the grandkids of Abraham who were part of the Jewish race, but they're not the true Israel. Not all of them are the true Israel. See, the Jews of that day, many of them thought they were in with God just because they were Jewish. But nobody ever gets in with God just because their skin's a certain color or just because they have the right grandpa. Does that matter if your granddaddy was a preacher? What gets you in with God is your faith. Amen. It's the only way to God. But right here, at the end of verse 6, it speaks of a true Israel. A true Israel, children of the promise, who believe the word of God. And so even Paul recognized that within Israel, within the ethnic Israel, there was believing Israel and unbelieving Israel. And here in verses 16 and 17, he's saying that the Gentiles are coming in. They believe just like the Jews who believed. And God is making them one people. So today, God doesn't have two different programs for two people. He doesn't have one particular plan for Israel that is different from the church, but he primarily has one people. Now, is there Israel? Absolutely. But they are not his people like the church is. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 and 13, it says, Therefore, remember that you were separated from Christ. You were alienated from the Commonwealth of Israel. you were strange he's talking to Gentiles. you were strangers of the covenants of promise, you had no hope, and, and you were without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you, who once were far off, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He himself is our peace, who has made us both one. Jew and Gentile. Jews that believe in Jesus, Gentiles that believe in Jesus, God has made them both one. He has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. That is key. Between Jews and Gentiles, that he might create in himself one new man. In place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body. Some will teach that God has a particular plan for Israel as if they are the people of God today, and some will teach that God has a particular plan for the church. He has a separate plan and a separate purpose for each, but I don't see that in the scripture. God has one people just as in verse 17, he has one tree. He has those who believe. Those who believe were present in the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, you all. There were faithful believers in the Old Covenant and in the New Covenant. And we see that there are faithful believers in this one people of God that are both from the Jewish nation and from other nations. Now, some people will hear me say this, and I wish I had a bit more time to unpack it, and they would accuse me of replacement theology. You're saying that the church is replacing Israel, and I say, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that God was working through the people of Israel to bring his Messiah, and now instead of the Gentiles replacing the Jews, no, Jew and Gentile have come together together, and the promises to the Jews are now fulfilled in the church. It's not replacement theology, but it's a theology of fulfillment. The promises that God made to Abraham, his grandkids aren't receiving that if they don't believe in him. The Jewish people aren't receiving those blessings and those promises. But people who have the faith of Abraham, whether they're Jews or Gentiles are receiving the promises of Abraham. There's nothing here that is saying the church replaces Israel, but it's saying that the church is the true Israel. The church is the true people of God. Gentiles who have the faith of Abraham have become a true Jew. We have become the true Israel. If you're having trouble with that language, look into Romans chapter two, look into Galatians chapter six, verse 16. Making this distinction is important. If we are going to understand the end times correctly, there is a whole system of belief about the end times, you all, it's called dispensationalism. That's not important, except that you've probably been affected by it, whether you know what it's called or not. And this whole system of belief says God has this particular plan for the Jews and this particular plan for the church and that they are completely separate in every way. And it's just not true. What we're going to see in verses 23 and 24 and what we saw last week is that the remaining Jews that haven't believed the gospel yet, they're actually going to come into the church. It is going to be a beautiful thing. So anyway, I just wanted to take... That time, and just show that, I think it's important. We, we have, I've never really taught that very much. In some ways, I'm just coming to understand it myself over these, these last few years. But there is one tree, and this tree is holy, and this tree has been cultivated by the Lord. This tree is the true people of God. So, moving on. Look at verse 18. Here's the command. And this is where it gets really practical for some of us in here today. The command is, do not be arrogant. Do not be arrogant. And what we see between verse 18 all the way down to verse 21, Paul is unpacking what it means to be arrogant. Because the Gentiles that he's talking to, they're looking at the Jews that aren't in the church and they're like, you, you know what? They were part of that tree but God broke them off and he put me in. Ooh, look at me. There must be something absolutely wonderful about me. We all know people like that, right? Amen. <laughs> we all been like that, right? Yes. Yes. This is me. This is you. You might not be as bad as you used to. This is the human condition. This is the human condition. So I'm going to read verse 17 and and go all the way to 21. If some of the, But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. He's talking about the ones that were broken off. If you are arrogant, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Verse 19, then you will say, well, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Here's the command. He says, don't be arrogant towards the Jews who did not believe. There were many Jews and many Gentiles in the Roman church. It was a very, in some ways, Rome was kind of like the United States. I mean, we, we just got people come from everywhere that have landed right here, right? We've always been a melting pot. We always, it's one of the really cool things about our nation, in a lot of ways. Well, Rome was kind of like that too. And there were tensions present between the Romans and the Jews in this one big church in Rome. When you get to Romans 14, you learn a lot more about the tension that's going on. How many of y'all ever seen tension in church, right? Okay. If you want the tension to calm down, then everybody repents of their arrogance. Amen? Amen. And once that's done, then you can get somewhere and you can go forward as a diverse people realizing God didn't choose you because there's something special about you or better than you. No, He chose you because He chose you out of His divine, sovereign election and He welcomes all who will come. He welcomes, And just because you came and so-and-so didn't come, it doesn't mean that you're better than them. Amen. And we unpack that idea a lot in Romans chapter 9. So, Gentiles, don't be arrogant towards the Jews. Right here we see that there is no place for anti-Semitism. And that's a really hot topic because of what happened on the other side of the world 15 days ago. There's no room here for anti-Semitism. I want to say that there are some Christians, including some Christians throughout history who've done some really great stuff. They assumed because the Jews rejected their Messiah, that God was completely done with them. And that is not the case at all. Back in Romans 1 through 4, Paul was talking to the Jews. And he was telling them, y'all, don't be proud, don't be full of yourself. Here in Romans 11, he's talking to the Gentiles. He's telling them the same thing. The temptation to pride and arrogance is not just a Jewish thing. It's not just a Gentile thing. It's not just a white man thing or a black man thing. It's not just a Democrat thing or a Republican thing. It's a human thing. Here's what I want to warn us against. Do not ever create in your mind reasons why you're better than other people. Don't ever formulate some kind of criteria or prop up some type of system that kind of says, yeah, God had a good reason to choose me. God had no good reason to choose anyone except for his own incredible love. Anyone who knows God did not deserve him. But yet in his own sovereign, unconditional election, he chose some for salvation. Some will say, why didn't he choose everyone? Well, that is a really arrogant question. The question is, is why did he choose anybody? And those he chose, he did not choose them because they were any better off or any greater than the ones he did not choose. But it is a mystery and the word of God does not disclose his reasoning except to say that it was for the praise of his own glory in Ephesians chapter one. Do not ever exalt yourself against others and believe others by believing that you're a Christian because of something about you that caused you to be superior in God's sight to others who were lacking the thing that you had. Do not ever think for a moment that you were superior in your sinful state to some other sinner. I love in verse 19. Well, verse 18, he says, don't be arrogant. You know, the root is supporting you. But look at what the arrogant person says back. The arrogant people are full of truth, right? (laughs) They're right about a lot of things. Verse 19, then you will say branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Look at verse 20. Paul says that is true. Paul's saying, I don't disagree with you. But Paul goes on and continues to reason. But before we go further, I want to say this about arrogance. Arrogance fails to hear reason and truth. Arrogance fails to receive correction. Are you a person who receives correction? Are you a person who can receive correction from an imperfect person? Arrogance always tries to take the high road. Arrogance always thinks that its path and its plan is better. Arrogance always has justification for itself or some type of excuse. And arrogance must always have the last word. Some of us, y'all, our life would be a whole lot easier if we quit trying to get the last word in. Mm. Just let the other person have it. And next week you'll realize you were wrong or they'll realize that they were wrong. Just let the other person have the last word. Arrogance says there is something really special about me. Arrogance says we are invincible and unstoppable. I almost vomited listening to our president's speech this week. If you listen to Biden's 15-minute message, and I get political up here, y'all, because Jesus was quite political himself. But Biden's whole message was that we're America. We can do anything. We're invincible. We are never going to fall. Y'all, Donald Trump was the same way, perhaps worse. This is not a partisan thing that I'm bringing up here. Both of them are incredibly guilty of this. But we can save this nation, we can save that nation, we can handle it all. we will never fall. Amen. But my Bible says in Proverbs, that pride comes before fall. And the proud rhetoric coming from our leaders, especially in Raleigh and even more so in Washington, DC, we are headed towards the fall if there is not repentance. In addition to this, as I've been thinking about what our president said a few nights ago, I think about the curses that God pronounces on evil nations. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, he clearly says, if a nation rejects their God, he will destroy them. The United States of America might not be around forever. And if we fall, it is because we have rejected our this arrogance that I'm speaking of has saturated our culture. We've all been infected by it. We all deal with it. I believe that many of us are prone to it often. But I want to tell you, church, fight the arrogance within you. Fight it in the spirit of God. Fight it in the word of God. And by the grace of God, You will overcome it. We will overcome it. So moving on. Yo, I want to stop there. I would like to stop there. Look quickly at verse 22, and I'll wrap it up with this, and we'll spend more time on this next week. Look at verse 22. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. This is a command. Paul is saying, Pay attention. Pay attention to two things about God. His kindness. That's the first one. How is God kind? God is kind because he welcomes criminals into his family. And he says, come and eat of me at my table. God is kind he lets people who have rejected him receive everything that he has. God is kind because he sent the Lord Jesus Christ to the cross for sinners. God is kind because instead of Pouring his anger, his righteous and just anger out on us who deserve it. He poured his righteous and just anger out on Jesus who did not deserve it. The second thing verse 22 says is note the severity of God. God is severe with those he judges. God is severe with those who do not repent and turn to him. See, we've all rejected his authority. And his invitation to all of us who have rejected his authority is to come and be reconciled to me. Come, and I will make you new. He loves us enough to receive us as we are, and he loves us enough not to let us stay that way. That is how kind he is. But for those who insist on going their own way, the judgment is severe. The judgment is severe. I want to ask, you know... I want to ask you to note the kindness and the severity of God. Some of us have been taught that God is all love. And we have this idea, this universalistic faith that anybody and everybody can just come and be okay with God. And that God is not really holy or just. He's not really angry with sin. You know, yeah, the whole world Has got all screwed up, but we're just going to, you know, God's just going to sweep it under a rug and act like it doesn't mean anything. There's that idea of God being good. God loves everybody. Yeah, God does love everybody, but he doesn't save everybody. So there's some who only focus on the kindness of God. Then there are some who only focus on the severity or the judgment of God. I want to tell you, he is both. Judgment is coming to all who are not made new. Judgment is coming to all who continue to reject their maker. He will pour out his severity with justice on all who do not come to him in faith. But his kindness, his goodness is available to anyone who will say yes, Lord. His kindness and his goodness is available to anyone who will reach out and grab hold of him. The offer is there. Come to Christ. You will be forgiven. You will receive the goodness of God and you will escape the severe judgment of God. I tell you today, you know, we we talk about, This big world history thing and this big Jews then Gentiles now and God's putting them all together to be one. I want you to be a part of that one. I want you to know God. I want you to belong to God. I want you to be nourished by that root. I want you to receive everything. That God has promised. He is good, he is kind, and there is no one like our God. Let's pray.